welcome to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 on the Faith FM network. My name is Lawson. <laughs> okay, go welcome for it. Welcome to the breakfast show. <laughs> so I just wanted to uh, jump keep, in. Keep going, keep going. Yep. This is Mon. Uh-huh. And Mon. <laughs> and more Mon. Wow, okay, yep, thank you. Welcome to the breakfast show this morning. You are listening to Faith Perfect. FM. <laughs> I love how much it annoys you. <laughs> I wish y'all could see the face he's pulling right now. It's like he's sucking a lemon. <laughs> I love lemons, actually. Me too. I love eating lemons. Okay, uh, Monica, uh, what are you what are you grateful for this morning? Oh, it's such a special day for me today, Lawson. It is the twenty fourth of May, two thousand and twenty two, which is my one year anniversary. Okay, so you acquired a bus. During COVID, I bought an old school bus and I gutted it and turned it into a tiny home. And I spent some time uh, doing that. And then on the 23rd of May last year, I set sail on the Spirit Tasmania because I was doing the build in Tas with my brother and my father. And then the 24th of May was my first day on the mainland when I officially commenced living in my little old school bus and traveling around the country. That's amazing. I've been doing it for a year now. And so, so what, how could you rate your experience? A million out of a million out of a million. Like it's just, I, so that's just, I that's just like a hundred percent. I love it. It could have been a hundred out of a hundred. 150% loss. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm so into it. It feels like a week rather than a year. And I can't wait for the next like five years. Bus life. Loving That's it. That's amazing. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We have come to the beginning of the show and we are going to have our first clue for the quiz. Who am I? After Jesus has had ascended... I joined the disciples, the women, and Jesus' cousins in an upstairs room. Okay, so this person was in a room. It was upstairs. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer. If you do call or text that with the correct answer, you need to say, may I enter the quiz? And you will go in the draw that will be drawn at the end of the week. And our prize this week is Growing in Jesus by Mark and Ernestine Finley. Becoming more like Jesus by studying his life. Just this incredible two-volume set going deep into the life of Jesus and how we can become more like him. So 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. Monica, what is happening in the world of good news? Lawson, I am so excited to be sharing this story. I read Uh this story yesterday, and since then, I must have clocked about two hours of conversation just about this topic because I've been calling people and chatting about it. I don't know why I'm so excited about it. This is (laughs) life-changing. This this actually is life-changing. I think I'm going to take this up as a hobby if I ever don't live in a bus anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So this is what's happened. I'm, my mouth is going to be full of saliva this whole time. There's a gentleman, a 79-year-old retired chemical engineer in Clemens, North Carolina in the US, who has single-handedly managed to save more than a thousand varieties of apples in danger of extinction from certain death. That's amazing. 12,000 at the moment. Oh, sorry, 1,200 at the moment is, is where he's up to. Uh-huh. So the varieties, varieties have these roaring names. They're really cool. They have names such as Black Wine Sap and Candy Stripe, Royal Lemon, Rabund Bald, Yellow Bellflower, and my personal favorite, Night Dropper. <laughs> that one sounds oh. a bit dangerous. Okay, okay. This sounds fantastic. I, okay. Let me tell you a little bit of how it happens. Okay. Yeah. So take, for example, the, the Junaluska apple, right? 
So legend has it that variety uh, was standardized more than two centuries ago. This variety was standardized more than two centuries ago by Cherokee Indians in the Smoky Mountains, mm. and it was named after its greatest patron, uh, which was um, an early 19th century chieftain. Uh, this apple was actually apparently a southern favorite, but it disappeared around 1900. Ooh. So Mr. Brown began hunting for it in 2001 after discovering references in an antebellum-era orchard catalog from Franklin, North Carolina. Antebellum means like pre-Civil uh, War. Yes. Pre-any yes. pre war, but in this particular case, the American Civil War. Mm. So like a true detective, right, he sets out to locate this orchard, uh, which actually closed in 1859. And this is this is what he does, like, all week long, right? He then engaged a, get this, a local hobby orchard and a postman as his researchers. So the two of them spent days just going door to door, like on their posty route. Have you seen this apple? Literally asking questions about old apple trees. And finally, uh, an elderly woman led them to remains of a mountain orchard that had been engulfed by the forest. And Mr. Brand then returns in the fruiting season and uses historical records to identify a single gnarled Junaluska tree. He then grafted Zion wood. Zion wood is the, is the name for the twigs they use to graft woody kind of plants. Mm. So he grafted Zion wood for his new conservation orchard and began to reintroduce the apple to the world. And these are just some of his stories. Like he's, um, he's, he's had a quest for the heirloom apples of Appalachia um, uh-huh. for the last 25 years. So some of the apples are incredible. Look at these pictures, right? This is the Arkansas black apple. It's so dark red purple that it's like, it's, it's almost like patches wow. of black. Like it looks mm. phenomenal. Um, he's got like a two acre, sorry, two hectare orchard where he has like over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of apples. Uh-huh. Um, so at the moment, he's up to 700 on his property. Like 700 different types of apples. Yeah. And get, this is going to, this, this is just mind blowing. This actually made me a little bit mad at huge conglomerates like Coles and Woolies and uh-huh. whatnot. So, um, most of these apples that he has been saving, rescuing, has not been sold commercially for a century or more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't even know what a heritage apple was when he, until he first came across them at a historic farmer's market in 1998. Mm. Uh, he said that they – this blows my mind. He said they were a bunch of strange-looking apples in baskets. Colors ranged from bright green to streaked yellow, sunset pink, and purplish-black some were the size of a plum, others the size of footballs. They had names like Bitter Buckingham, White Winter John, Arkansas Black, and Billy Sweat Sweetening. And <laughs> when he started tasting, he discovered a completely new palette of flavors and textures. Uh-huh. And so chefs around the world are now starting to lose their mind over Mr. Brown's work because he's introducing fl- – like if we think about apples, we think there's nothing new that I'm going to – learn about an apple, the taste of an apple. Like we've all, you know, we know, we all think we know what an apple tastes like and what it, what the texture's like. Mm-hmm. But they're saying that the tastes are like unlike anything you've ever had. So he said that um, Jonathan's different kind of apple has like a pink flesh. Rusty coat apples were soft as pear and sweet as honey. There's a pear, I mean, so there's an apple called the Mammoth 20 ounce, which was crunchy with a tart peachy finish. Is it very big? Is that why it's They're all different size. Well, that one, yeah, probably 20 ounce. Mammoth 20 ounce, I want to say that's a big boy. (laughs) Um, There's a semi-firm Etta's Gold, which brought peonies and grape aromas. And this one's my favorite one for how it might taste. It's an apple called Grimes Golden, which was sweet with a hint of nutmeg and white pepper. White pepper? White pepper, yep. Yep. So, wow. Yeah. So this guy's enthusiasm, Mr. Brown's uh, enthusiasm, has led him to have many different conversations with orchardists and pomologists, which is the people who like study fruit. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I think the bit that made me mad was learning that, um, you know, the way that we came into having all these different kinds of apples is like back in the in the mid 18th century, virtually every ranch, like on the East Coast particularly, had an apple orchard. And every family was passionate and had a lot of pride in growing their own particular variety of apple. Mm. And so around that time, there was 11,000, sorry, 14,000 unique varieties of apple um, documented by 1905. So just think about that, 14,000 unique varieties of apple in 1905. And then in a mere 45 years, we've whittled that down to 11 commercial apples that we're all used to seeing in the supermarket. 11, from 14,000 down to 11. Oh, that makes me so mad. All right. I I have a question, though. Yeah. Okay. So we have all these, like, less, uh, like, varieties of apple. Yeah. Which is a bummer. Yeah. But are any of them better than a Granny Smith? Like that's that's my question. <laughs> yes, because yeah, for me, like green green Granny Smith apples are like the best apples on earth. Like well, they're, they're my here, favorite ones. It says here that some of the you know there was a complete complete like range of tastes from the sweet ones, the tart ones, which I guess you would like because you like Granny Smith. Mm. The reason that we have the same eleven apples over and over again is uh is because of grocery stores sales. Like they need to have ones that um that last long, that have a long shelf life, that can withstand long haulage across the country roundabout. Mm. So that's why it hasn't it has nothing to do with taste. We didn't pick the 11 most delicious apples. Uh-huh. We picked the ones that commercial orchards. The, the mo- most commercially viable. Yeah. yeah. So who knows what we've lost. Um, so This it, does like raise my, my – because I'm like, okay, they picked 11, right? The, not because they take taste the best, but does that 11 represent an entire range in which all of these other apples just kind of fall within anyway? No, because according to Mr. Brown, absolutely not. And according to the chefs that he's now working with, they're like their minds are blown. They've got the saying, secret sauce at the, now. At the different tastes that they, they – like can you imagine being a chef and you have a limited range of tastes, like now just having a whole new catalogue just from this one guy's Same, work? 1,400 different types of apples that you can use to make yeah. applesauce? <laughs> That's crazy. Shut up. But then, but look at like different kinds of grape juice, right? Yeah. And they have like white and red juice and that kind of thing. They all taste different. So you can mm. imagine like it wouldn't just be 14, you know, thousand types of the exact same yeah, apple oh, 100%. sauce. Yeah, I agree. It would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said, he said it was upsetting to learn that 250 years of culinary culture had been wasted. Mm. And, um, and to, I, um, I kind of feel like I want to do this when I ever like get old and get property. I'm going to start like, Seeking out lost apples varieties and uh, and growing them and seeing if I can cultivate them. I talked about this with my mum yesterday for hours, and she's pretty keen to get into it herself. My parents have, my parents actually have the most delicious apples I've ever tasted down in Tasmania. Wow! My parents literally post me apples in the mail from the apple tree in their backyard <laughs> that they've let ripen on the tree and not like on a supermarket shelf or in a warehouse, and mm. it tastes completely different mm-hmm. to an apple. Even the texture, probably the texture primarily is so different to anything you find wow. in a supermarket. So, yeah, he, this guy, hats off to Mr. Brown. He drives over 30,000 miles a year and spends three days a week apple hunting. Um, he's joined a partnerships with different uh, non-profit organizations to try and bring all these apples back from extinction. Um, but, yeah, this is a great great work. And I, I honestly hope that one next time I go to America that I'll be able to go buy his orchard and do a little tasting. Maybe I'll get to taste... 700 apples instead of 
14,000, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I can't wait to get to heaven and just stuff my face, to be honest. Just the fruits. Just the fruits. Amazing. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And we're going to have another clue for the quiz. Simeon said to me, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Wow. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer. And if you do, you can enter our draw for the quiz this week, which is Growing in Jesus, Volume 1 by Mark, Mark, not Volume 1. We have both volumes. I keep making that mistake. But we have both volumes by Mark and Ernestine Finley. And you just have to call us up, say the right answer, and say man to the quiz. But yeah, tell us what that clue was again. Simeon said to me, Mm. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Awesome. All right. Let's have a chat about some uh, some things that are happening right now. Let's do it. In uh, As I said when we introed the show, we are going to be talking about people who put themselves in the place of Jesus. Oh, yeah. What's going on with that? That and sounds horrifying. Yeah. Well, basically, uh, just, just different decisions that people are making and, and whatnot. So let, let's start with um, a, a decision that's happened in the Church of Scotland recently. The Church of Scotland, I didn't even know that existed until just now. So the Church of Scotland is, you know, I guess a branch of the Church of England, um, you know, sound like would be, yeah. yeah, that kind of thing uh, in, in a similar style a kind of, you know, church that represents a state, not necessarily a church state, but a church that is reflective of a state, you know, similarly to you have like, you know, your church of England, your Ethiopian Orthodox church, you know, um, your Coptic Orthodox, or like all those, all these kind of churches. Okay. Um, so the church of Scotland has voted to allow ministers and deacons to officiate same sex weddings. Oh, wow. Uh, During the 2022 General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, 274 commissioners voted in favour and 136 against. Um, So we actually saw a recent vote. I talked about on the show, actually, a recent vote happened uh, in the Anglican Church uh, where it was also uh, approved here in Australia. Um, But, yeah, the the moderator of the General Assembly, uh, Reverend Dr. Lane Greenshields, said the Church of Scotland had a lengthy and prayerful and in-depth discussion on this topic to find a solution that respects diversity and the values that the and values the beliefs of all values the beliefs values the beliefs of all now this (laughs) is like again okay so uh, as i intro this section people putting themselves in the place of Mm -hmm. jesus putting themselves in the place of god um they are saying that it is their place to decide um what beliefs should be valued and what shouldn't and i i have no problem with that statement in the sense that we are to review what the bible says and come up with uh, doctrine, like we are called to, the, the, like the Bible is full of information about topics, and we come up with doctrines and we come to conclusions on what the Bible says. Um, but the motivation behind making this change is, yeah, the claims that they had a lengthy and prayerful discussion within which the aim was to respect diversity and value the beliefs of all. Now, you can value the beliefs of all um, in in the sense that you can just show general respect and not persecute people but as a christian um it is impossible to value the beliefs of all yeah and we see this consistently throughout the bible in the sense that you can't live by the beliefs of all yeah i mean even even this this uh, 
outcome alone doesn't affect the values of all because a hundred, how many a hundred of them, hundred something of them said no. Yeah, that's right. It clearly didn't value their beliefs. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Um, but again, the point is in, in respecting diversity because like ultimately the, um, the outcome is that now they will uh, officiate same-sex weddings. Now, they have stipulated, they're like, oh, you won't be forced to do so if you don't want to. Um, but again, if you make if you make leg- like church legislation, um, then, yeah, that can be leveraged by, especially by the government. I, like, I'm thinking, oh, if it's your church legislation to officiate these weddings and then there's people that don't want to, isn't that, isn't that a discrimination case? Because there's, you're actually said that there's nothing in your beliefs that is stopping you from doing this uh but yeah i i think this is an incredibly interesting case and again that this this statement of valuing the beliefs of all um my question is when has god ever done that in the bible never the answer is never in the sense that because the beliefs of all lead to many harmful things there are there are many people who have beliefs that lead to to harmful things like you, you we can just uh, look at a lot of like the pagan culture that was surrounding the Israelites in their time. Like, okay, so what's the reason that, that God wants the Israelites to leave Egypt? Um, well, the beliefs of the Egypt, Egyptians had led the Israelites to become slaves. Like they enslaved the Israelites because of their beliefs. Um, and, and therefore, um, God couldn't respect that belief was like, oh, wait, this is this is a, a humanitarian tragedy. And also these yeah, people... Killing their babies and everything. That's right. Yeah. They're so, like killing their children. Like, oh, I need to do something here. I need to step in. And it, like he actively, you know, plagues and ends up, you know, wiping out the army of the Egyptians and the pharaohs and the people perpetrating this um, because they continued to practice their beliefs, which clearly, you know, God, God did not respect. God did not respect their beliefs to have the right to enslave the children of Israel um, in, in in the way that they did. You know, like, and then people want to have the the conversation about biblical slavery, and we always have to explain it's not slavery in in terms of the Israelites; it's indentured servitude, which is a completely different thing in terms of God legislated um, slavery. It was a thing where you went into debt and then you voluntarily became a slave to pay off debts. Whereas what, um, what the Egyptians were doing were, you know, was much more akin to kind of African slave trade and, you know, yeah. oppressing human, the, human rights violations. That's right. Left, right o- oppressing now. the people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just see this. And this is the thing, like, you know, in any other institution, like from a government perspective, um, in terms of respects diversity, diversity values the beliefs of all, that is very important because they are, they are a legislative body. They control the beliefs of, you know, uh, uh, they control, sorry, the, the law of a country and then the, the people of, of a country. And so, um, as a government, I think, yeah, religious freedom is a highly valued thing, but then within the religion itself, like, why, why, again, why are we putting our place in the, uh, why are we putting ourselves in the place of God? And why are we trying to represent him and decide what's sin and what's not? Um, and that's what these people have ultimately done. Something that is clearly and obviously a sin. And, and there are people who have like, you know, come, come against this, come against this with different theological ideas. Um, but this is 100, a, 100% a vote and an outcome that is based purely on presumption, purely the idea that, oh, well, like I have friends who do this. So mm. why would God punish them? Or yeah. I know people like this, that's presumption. Like we will, we are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God and we all need Jesus Christ. And like you, like the church wouldn't, you know, uh, endorse other sin 
They wouldn't endorse lying or they wouldn't, you know, endorse like a whole range of other sins. But they've decided to endorse this one because, you know, it, it culturally maneuvers them in a, in a place where, I don't know, they, they'll get more popular. But then every single church that's made this decision has crashed and burned. And we can see that clearly in Australia. So I, I am like, yeah, just kind of upset and disappointed. Um, again, I think ultimately because they're putting themselves in the place of God and deciding what's right and what's wrong rather than listening to the Bible. The second instance in which this has happened recently um, is the U.S. Speaker, uh, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a very famous figure in politics. Um, you know, in the discussions recently about the overturning on Roe versus Wade, she has been outspokenly in favor of not doing that, uh, against the overturning of Roe versus Wade. She is a, a big proponent of abortion rights and these kinds of things. And so her, uh, local archbishop has decided that she is no longer allowed to, um, attend mass and take the Eucharist, uh, which according to Catholic tradition means that she is lost. Oh, wow. She is lost. And, and it's funny because I like, I was trying to look up online, like, are you, you know, are you lost? Are you, do you not receive salvation by not taking the Eucharist? And some people are like, oh, no, we're saved by the grace of God. But then on the other hand, you're not allowed to take the Eucharist, Eucharist unless you're saved. So is this the church that she subscribes to? Yeah, it's, it's the, oh, wow. the, the Catholic church, the local okay. Catholic church. And again, like, I don't agree with Nancy Pelosi in her stance, and obviously the church doesn't either. But again, the church are putting themselves in the position mm. where she mm-hmm. can't receive salvation because they won't as- administer it to her. They won't ascribe it to her, which is, again, another terrible situation, whether you disagree with her or not. Now, I yeah. don't... Well, just plain and simply, salvation shouldn't be based on whether you take the Eucharist. Salvation should be based in faith in Jesus Christ, which I believe will lead you to come to correct conclusions on these kinds of issues. And we can kind of see, okay, which way is Nancy Pelosi heading? And we pray for her. We pray for our leaders and we hope that they come to Christ. Uh, but ultimately, again, a church putting themselves in the place of God. This is the worst possible thing that they can do. And yeah, we should really pray that um, these people sort themselves out, come back to God. Like, please stop, stop the pride. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're going to have another clue for the quiz. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I got the hiccups. Um, Okay, who am I? I attended nice. a marriage festival in Cana. Okay. Mm. This person's kind of been all over the place. Yeah, this person's it, like traveling, man. Yeah, that's right. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And if you do, you can go into the draw to win the Growing in Jesus set. Not volume one, not volume two, two but volume the set. set. We have a two volume mm-hmm. set uh, by Mark and Ernestine Finley. And if you go in the draw, that draw will be drawn. On Friday, so be ready for that. So, but draw that draw will be drawn. Uh, please, you heard it here first. Please, awesome <laughs> please make sure you say, "May I enter the quiz?" And again, that question was: This person went to the wedding in Cana. Yeah, marriage festival in Cana. That's right. Well, right now we have come to our time for the interview on the day of the day, and on the phone we have Sue Burke from Asian Aid. Sue, are you there with us? 
I am indeed. Hi, guys. I hope your hiccups won't interrupt the interview, Monica. I really hope not because I literally have the most masculine hiccups ever. What's <laughs> really what does unattractive. that mean? They're just, they're like, they're really belchy. Like, they don't sound okay. like you're going to They're still girly breakfast hiccups. Breakfast radio, breakfast they're radio. They're like big, loud, man. We're, we're moving on. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks uh, for bringing that up, Sue. How are you? That's okay. I'm well, thank you. And you? <laughs> you're good as cold. Oh, we are. We are killing it. And we understand this morning um, that we are going to be talking about a topic that we've kind of already been covering here on the show this morning, talking about planting trees and orchids and whatnot. And I believe we're going to be talking about with you, we're going to be focusing on the word flourish. Yeah, that's right. So today I really want to kind of talk talk on what Asian Aid really tries to do as part of our mission, which is mm. not just focus on education, but ensure that children have the opportunity and their families to flourish in faith and future prospects. And one of the things we've been working really hard on in Nepal is kitchen gardens. So we have been um, working with 500 families in a community in remote Nepal and so far 448 of them have profitable kitchen gardens so that just not just means that they have enough vegetables to um, grow for themselves but they're actually now selling those vegetables to other people in the community so they can buy school supplies and they can buy other things for their families. So it's really exciting. We also have given um, 274 um, families five types of fruits and nuts to grow. Wow. Which is really exciting. 473 families have three tree types um, to also grow. And 22 uh, actually families are engaged in an income generation program through our agriculture of creating medicinal and aromatic plants. So it's really, really exciting and it kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, I think I sent you the verse. Yeah, Ezekiel 47 and verse 12. Yeah, so... And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water from them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Mm. And I thought that was really apt. And also, I love the word sanctuary because I think our village schools, our Adventist schools in some of these remote countries in India, Bangladesh and Nepal are sanctuaries for many Mm. vulnerable children. Mm. And we like to call them beacons of hope. So um, those those schools were the schools that kind of are next to the, the church as well. So that's where we provide medical care. We gave food relief during COVID. We give the whole community opportunities for parental learning about child rights. And they are kind of these tiny pockets of faith within communities and countries that don't really have that. And we're super proud of that. We also have a a goat program and a duck program and a chicken program and people learn how to raise their own herds, create 
little farms, and that all helps with the sustainability of the projects as well because we really want everyone to be able to flourish together. So, Mm. yeah, that's kind of really – I just wanted to feel good today. Um, And the other thing we do is kitchen classes so parents can learn how to cook healthy food Mm. Um, along the elements of – Alan White's teachings around how to use nuts and um, grains to provide really healthy, sustainable, long-term living. So that's another part of what we do. So when you sponsor a child through us, you're not just paying for education, but you're actually also helping communities to flourish, Mm. learn about God, and also become healthier as a full community. Mm. So that's one of the things that we really love. And we're actually rolling that across all three countries. And it's a really exciting part of what we do. And we Uh, also have a water project as well. Sorry? Oh, I was just going to say that that's incredible. I love, uh, so like this verse that you sent us, especially like this idea of of water flowing from the sanctuary, it kind of gives this uh, illustration of essentially like God is providing, like it's like, okay, you, you know, all these fruits, they're like blossoming and it's like, but ultimately the, the water that is enabling them to grow, the agent is, is God. It's God providing, it's God enabling. And I believe like, yeah, through, through your guys' amazing work, you're giving people, um, the opportunity to to be able to to live those lives to not only receive education but actually like as you said feed themselves i love that idea the first thing you mentioned that because you just mentioned a ton of amazing things that asian yeah. aid is doing um but that first point that you made like enabling these people to um not like it's firstly not have to buy vegetables secondly be subsistence farmers and then thirdly actually make money on the things that they're growing like you've turned something that was like ultimately like a a cost into a net profit like that's incredible and i also want to add that this will probably be a generational thing because these parents will likely teach their kids and then their kids will be equipped to have you know a more and i don't want to say an easier life but a more stable life than their parents have yeah i just reflect on a story in um last newsletter with a young girl called Samita and she loves the garden so Mm. much and she now utilizes her free time there and she uses it as a reprieve, a relaxation for her Mm. in the garden. And, you know, that obviously she's getting a healthier outcome because her mum and dad are providing her with fresh fruit and vegetables, Mm. but also She's learning how to garden. So as she grows up and has her own family, she'll be able to do that for generations to come. And those skills will flow through. And, you know, reflecting on these equal, um, the verse, we actually built a massive well project in one of our wow. schools in Bangladesh. And now that well, actually flows through the whole community and it's provided mm. farming options as well as fresh drinking water to not just the school but the whole community as a large and they've now got like 300% better crop production wow. they can pay their school fees mm. it's, it's, it's the water flowing but it's the face part as well flowing through our communities that allow people to learn about God through these beacons of light, which are our Adventist schools. And in a lot of these countries, 
Christianity is not the first option. Yeah. So it does allow, and we hear it all the time, that the children have attended the Adventist school and through that their parents have learnt and come to God as well. Mm. And that's a really important part of what we do in our mission is not force faith but show and shine the light of faith Mm. and allow people the opportunity to learn about what we have as a mission um, through the work, great work that we do. So. Mm. Yeah, it, that's incredible. Like, I'm just thinking again in, in teaching them to, you know, uh, grow crops and whatnot. Like, you're enabling them to to live better lives. Um, that also like give them the ability as well in their decision to to be converted and follow Christ. It gives gives them the ability to help others. You know, you could just drop a bunch of you know fruit on their do- doorstep and uh, and say, okay, you know. This is, we're doing this because we follow Jesus and we'd like you to follow Jesus. But then, you know, God has called all of us to go out and to make disciples and to, to be representatives of Christ to everyone. Everyone who becomes converted, their job is then to be a witness from that point forward. And you're actually enabling these people not only to receive Christ, but to be a witness of Christ because of their newfound skills that can help them to be able to support others. So that is amazing. Like, yeah. And we kind of talk. Lyle, a lot around the word empower and the opportunity to, because mm. we're not banging the preaching drum and trying to force a Bible down someone's neck, but we're shining the light of mm. the work that true Christianity can bring. And like the well and like the vegetables, they're flowing through the community and through that work, people have the opportunity to learn about why we do the work we do. That's amazing. Like I, I can totally resonate, uh, resonate with that, uh, that thought of not necessarily banging the Bible down someone's throat. Now I, I work at my local university giving Bible studies on the campus and I'm, you know, I'm up to my, up to my neck in Bible studies at the moment. I've got plenty of Bible studies and none of, none of them came from just going up to people and being like, you know, maybe, I don't know, yelling or screaming. It literally all of them came from, I make friends with them and then they become interested in what I believe. And then I'm like, Hey, do you want to study the Bible with me? And they say, yes. Like it just comes from, yeah, being that positive influence. And the, the Bible calls this witnessing, being a positive witness to them. And I believe Asian aid uh, and the, the support that they're providing is such an amazing witness for God because in their minds, it's like, what what would make these people go out of their way so much to to support us this way? And it's like, oh, it's because of the amazing God that they worship. And then from there, I can imagine these people just absolutely just taking this on board um, and then growing in Christ themselves. I also wanted to quickly ask you, you were talking about um, some of the, the cooking classes you were doing. I, I'd love to know, how do, how do they pan out and, and work in uh, in that context? Yeah, so, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, just, I'll give you an example. So we work in two slums in India, one in mm. Chennai and one in Bangalore. And obviously we can't grow gardens there. It's not appropriate. Mm. Um, but what we actually do is we invite the women into, we've built a kitchen, like a commercial kitchen within those communities. And we get give classes um, around how to promote healthy eating and then they learn how to cook everyday meals and quick and easy meals so that they can still provide healthy food options for their families and they mm. don't have to go to street 
the street markets and get like fried food and things like that. Mm. But in our rural and remote communities, we actually use the school as the conduit for classes. And we have classes from everything through from the parents are invited to and that full community. So just because your child doesn't go to the school doesn't mean you can't attend these free classes. Mm, And that is on everything around whether you want to join our goat rearing classes to chicken farming Mm. to cooking, how to prepare fresh vegetables and how to grow them as well. But also we weave into that things like child rights and how how to ensure that families understand the importance of educating their children Mm. and messages around things like um, um, early childhood marriage and why it's not healthy for young women and women's health. And then we also send doctors there. That's where they get their regular checkups. So the schools really are kind of like the I suppose the hub, like the church is, but the hub Mm. of the community. And we do that with purpose because that allows people the access to talking around our faith-based opportunities as well. So, you know, we don't just go to the community hall. We purposely run these events through the schools. Mm. And we also do things like adult literacy classes. So if the parents want to learn, they also have the opportunity wow. to improve their prospects as well. And I think that's really important because it's the holistic approach that allows us to flourish in faith and future prospects. It's not just teaching a child education, it's improving the life and livelihood through the work that we do for the whole community. Mm. Sue, that is amazing. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on Faith FM. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.